You know, it's funny sometimes um, when you start to read the scripture, just when you think that it's, just when you think you've got a handle on it, uh, it, it changes on you. And re- you realize very quickly you don't have a handle on it at all. Um, it has a handle on you, and that's the way it ought to be. Um, as I was reading this passage, um, even a couple of weeks ago, uh, I started on sometimes uh, maybe you're not this way, but this is the way I am, and I, I know we've got at least one other that's this way. Uh, once you see something, um, you have to you have to find out more about it. Like you see something and a question pops in your mind and you've got to get the answer. And so, so I started on a wild goose chase trying to find an answer to a question. Uh, and it related to this and we'll get to that in just a minute. And I was, I was kind of floored because I wasn't expecting the kind of answer that I got. And it brought me to a whole another place of worship that, that I, I didn't quite see coming. We are in the book of Revelation chapter 21. Verse 9 is where we will pick up tonight. So last week we talked about the first part of God making all of creation new, bringing new heaven and a new earth. And tonight we're going to see the crowning jewel of that new heaven and that new earth, the new Jerusalem. Read with me. Let's read the first, uh, let's read from verses 9 through 14 together. We'll talk them and then we'll move on from there. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Let's let that sink in for a second. He has shown this vision. He's carried away in the spirit. He's shown this vision of this great high mountain. And standing on that mountain, he sees the city descend to the earth. Can you picture the splendor of the new Jerusalem with the glory of God shining all around it? We'll talk a little bit more about the appearance of the city itself. But can you just imagine the sight, the splendor of this he's looking up and uh he sees it's almost like this giant jewel like this this jasper crystal clear slowly descending and as it's descending he he begins to get a sense of the splendor of the city he sees that there are 12 gates three on each side and each of the gates has the names of one of the tribes of Israel and he notices along the base of the wall that there are some names there too. Among its 12 foundations, now usually we only need one, this wall has 12. And on each one is written the name of an apostle. On each one, one of the, one of the men appointed to follow Christ in that special role. It almost reminded me 
of the Israelites camping in the wilderness, they would put the tent of meeting in the middle and they would camp around it and they would camp three on each side. There would be three tribes camped to the north, three tribes to the south, three east, three to the west, they would all camp around. It kind of reminded me of that picture. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like uh, each of the sides, re- each of the gates along the sides of the city representing one of those tribes of Israel that have composed the Old Testament people of God and the foundations of the walls co- are composed of the New Testament saints of God. It's this union of, of the people of God throughout all of history that have all come together. And what makes Jerusalem so special, you're going to find out in a minute, is that God brings it all together. And it's not just Old and New Testament that He brings together. There's something else that really makes the place sparkle. It really makes it shine. We won't... I'll hold that for a second. But He sees the city, and and you can't help but be impressed with the vision of it, the splendor of the city... Before long, it, the splendor of the city seems to give way to the scope of the city. Look in verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city of the gate of, and its gates and walls. The city lies four square. Its length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Now, I know we don't measure things in stadia. Um, so I did a little bit of looking. This would be roughly thirteen hundred and eighty miles. So let me give you let me give you some context. A day's journey in that time would be twenty miles. It would take you over two months to walk down one of the sides of this city. Two months walking twenty miles a day just to get one side. It would take you almost nine months to make the whole circuit around the city. It's a lot of walking. Just how big is this city? Well, I did some, I did a little bit of math and I did a little bit of research. Jerusalem today, if you include the Palestinian occupied areas, is 252 square feet. It's not a very large city, is it? That doesn't, that, that's not very big. Uh, the three largest cities in the world, landmass. Atlanta, Georgia, I was surprised about that. A little over 2,800 square feet. Tokyo, Japan, almost 3,200 square feet. New York City, 4,585 square feet. How big is the New Jerusalem? Well, if this is a literal measurement, 12,000 stadia, 1,380 miles across, by 1,380 miles, that gives you 1,904,400 square miles I'm sorry, I said square feet all this. It's square miles. Sorry. Ooh, that, that's, a, that's a really big mistake. That's 415 New York cities. You see now how I got blown away by it? Oh, it gets better. I decided, you know what? I, I, that's, that's like as big as a country, isn't it? Yeah, that's pretty much as big as a country. In fact, it would be the 14th largest country in the world by land area. Just a little bit ahead of uh, Mexico or Indonesia and just shy of Mexico. In fact, if you put it on top of the United States, it would take up the land area of Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York, 
Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, Delaware, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas, New Mexico, and every U.S. territory including Rico, the Virgin Islands, the Northern Mariana Islands, American Samoa, Guam, and the minor outlying islands too. Do you see why I started to worship? Here is a massively large city. I've never thought of it this way. I've always thought in terms of the pictures where you can kind of see the corner of the city and it looks like it's okay. Like it looks like it's somewhat impressive, but, but it's still kind of small. I saw a picture today. If this cube, if it's a cube like this, and it's sitting on top of a globe, it just massively sticks out from the globe. Just to give you an idea, if you drove, like if you could point your car up, straight up, and drive to outer space, forget gravity and having to overcome all that, uh, inter- at interstate speeds, you'd be in space in less than an hour. It's only about 60, 62 miles before you get to what's considered outer space. The effects of the atmosphere go on several hundred miles beyond that. But but to get to what we classify as outer space, it's only about 62 miles. This city, its height is the same as its width and length. Think about that, folks. Think about the scope of this city and realize this just came out of heaven. Do you see how big our God is? Can you see how amazing our God is? That he can take a city the size of most countries on earth? (laughs) But what makes the city special? Oh, by the way, uh, verse 17, he also measured its wall 144 cubits by human measurement. That's about 216 feet. So if you're keeping track, end to end, three semi-trailers with 53-foot uh, trailers attached on the back of a semi. You put three of them end to end and you still got space to walk around on top of the wall. This is a scope that, that is, it's just mind boggling how big this is. Now, you got to keep in mind, the New Jerusalem is not just intended to be this huge thing that makes you go, wow, that's really big. It's intended to draw your eyes to the main thing that's in it. Well, what's what's the main thing here? He goes on to describe more of the city and, and how the wall is out of jasper and, and the streets are made of gold and the foundation, uh, that, that, that each of the gates is uh, its own pearl. One pearl, apparently, is the way that it reads. <laughs> Imagine a pearl that big, that it's the gate of that city. That's incredible. But... All of these different stones that you find in it, it's, it's a beautiful picture. Take some time to read it and think it and mull it over. But what I really want to get to is the main point of New Jerusalem. And it's really defined not just by what it looks like, but by what it's missing. We used to play this game with our kids. This was our way of trying to entertain them at the dinner table. There'd be stuff on the table. Someone would close their eyes or you know, several of them or whatever, someone would take something off and hide it and say, what's missing? And you'd, they'd have to f- try to figure out what was missing from the table. Oh, it's the salt, you know, right? The New Jerusalem is known as much for what's missing 
In fact, more so, I think, than for the descriptions of how beautiful the city is or how massive the city is. So what's missing from the New Jerusalem? Verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. So the first thing you don't see in the city, the New Jerusalem, is a temple. Why not? Because God is the temple. Now, now that doesn't make sense to us. For us, we think of ourselves as being the temple because God lives in us, right? Okay? Right? Your body is the temple of the Lord, right? We think of that kind of terms. But what he's saying here is that God himself is the temple. New Jerusalem points out something to us that, that we don't see any other time in human history. In the other times of human history, we, we see people walking with God. Adam and Eve in the garden before sin are walking with God in the cool of the day. There's God's presence is with them. But here, here God's presence is so permeated the city that there's no need for a place for God to be worshipped. We get a little taste of that now because we can worship God here. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, you had to pack your bags, go to Jerusalem to worship. Maybe you had a synagogue nearby when you couldn't get to Jerusalem, when the temple had been torn down and, and we got to make something work in the meantime. But really the goal was to get to that temple because that's where God lived. That's the house of God. That's the house where his name would be established. This city doesn't need a temple because God has so permeated it. His presence is so thick that wherever you are, you are in his presence. We get a taste of it, but then we get the full buffet. And yes, it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. I find it interesting. You don't need a temple because you're always in the presence of God. There's no need to go somewhere to get into God's presence. David talks about this a little bit. He says, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the highest of heights, you're there. If I go down to the deepest of depths, you're there. If I make my grave in Sheol, you're even there. A little bit of a taste. But in the New Jerusalem, his presence is everywhere. And we are in his presence. So rather than him living within us, we, in a sense, live within him. Now, I'm not going to go New Age and tell you that we become one with God, with the all one essence. I, that, that's, that's not right. But I can tell you this. There's nowhere you can't go from him, and you won't want to. Not only is there no temple, verse 23, there's no need for a sun. What do you need a sun for, right? Moon? Moon schmoon. We don't need no stinking moon. Verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. I don't know if John wrote uh, knowing how beautiful that would sound in English, but I love the, just the change the one letter. In fact, it's like one letter turns upside down and lamp becomes lamb. Okay, I'm a nerd. All right. But there's a, there's a poetic beauty to that. We don't even need a moon. There's no need for any sort of outside source of light. Why? Because God is the light. Now, that might be true in a physical sense, but it's even more true in a spiritual sense. Because how do you think anybody has found their way into that city? The light of Christ. I love the way uh, Hebrews 10, verse 1, says that the law is a shadow 
basically, of Christ. In fact, um, I, I, I did it this way one time I was preaching in a church. I, I, I did shadow puppets on the wall. I said that when the light of God shines on Jesus Christ, the shadow that he casts is the law that we find in the Old Testament. So first we got a shadow, then we see the Christ. Now we see the full radiance of God's glory in such a such magnificence that even the sun isn't necessary anymore. Even the moon is not needed. Now there's a whole lot of other things that the sun and moon do. They provide heat. They control the waves, the ebb and flow of the tides on earth. It's this beautiful balance that all the, but we don't need any of that anymore because now we have the presence of God and He takes care of everything we need. So it has no temple. It has no celestial light because we don't need it. Why do you need stars when you've got the maker of them? By its light, the nations will walk. So not only is the light in the city, but the light is emanating out of the city so that anybody around can learn how to live their life, how to walk, can walk in their way securely and firmly because of the light that's coming out of New Jerusalem. Think about that. The fact is, not only are these benefits within the city, these benefits are without of the city as well. In fact, we have a picture here of this tiny little corner of the lake of fire, but the rest of creation is all completely healed, glorified. All brought to a newness of life that was far exceeding what it existed in before. This isn't just that God saves us from our sin. God saves all of creation from our sin. A creation that Romans 8 tells us is groaning and yearning for salvation, pleading with God, Lord, hurry, Lord, hurry, please, hurry, Lord. And now it's fulfilled. By its light, the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, echoing the words of Isaiah. I I, I think Isaiah is a favorite of John because he quotes him a lot. He talks about in chapter 66, I'm trying to find the specific verse. Let's see. Ah, here we go, verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> Sorry, I saw new heavens, I thought that was it. He talks about this, and, and I wish I could remember the passage. But he talks about how in that day that, that the nations... Ah, here we go. No, hold on. Gosh. <laughs> I keep seeing keywords and I think that's it and then it's not it. Oh. But he talks about the fact that in this new, in this new earth, in this new heaven that God creates, that the nations of the earth will bring their world into Jerusalem. Now, Isaiah sees it. Maybe he doesn't understand that it's a new Jerusalem and not an old Jerusalem, but what he's saying applies. The, the kings of the world bringing their treasure, bringing themselves, bringing their peoples into the new Jerusalem to worship God, to learn how to walk in His ways from God's people. It, it's a picture of God not only making all things right, but now God's people being the light for the nation that He always meant them to be, so that the people from far off lands will come in and will pay homage and will worship God right there in His temple. Now, we know there's no temple 
in New Jerusalem because God is the temple. So they're coming into the presence of God, bringing their worship, bringing their gifts, bringing their lives. What a beautiful picture. What a, what a, man, just makes you, makes you just want to pe- press fast forward on history to get to that point, doesn't it? Something else that's not there. A walk for the gates, verse 25, and its gates shall never be shut by day and there shall be no night there. The gates are open wide and they will never be closed again. Why? Because there's no need to close the gates. What do you close gates for? Security. There's no need of security. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I used to think of heaven as, all right, once you get into heaven, you don't get back out. You know, it's like, it's like you, you, you don't get, you don't get the, like, like you give them your ticket, you walk in and then uh, if you leave, you can't get back in because you don't have a ticket anymore, right? That's not the way heaven is. There's a coming and going. The gates are open. Folks can flow in and out freely. Well, folks who are written in the book of life. There's something else that's neat about this city that I want to turn your attention to. Something that it has. And that is a river. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. So you're walking in the street and there's just a river. You follow that river and it goes straight to his throne. Now what may not be there is a temple, but what is there is a throne. There's a place where God sits and rules. And it's from that throne that issues forth this river of life. This river that doesn't bring the death of the salt sea. This river that doesn't bring violent storms. This river that doesn't bring peril, danger, the unknown abyss of incredible depths. I was watching something um, not too long ago and he showed just various depths of the ocean and the kinds of things you find there and the types of animals you see and about, I want to say it was around a thousand meters down, no sunlight can penetrate anymore. And that's when you get to looking at the ugly creatures, the the really ugly fish that like dangle a little light to attract other fish and and then like this big hideous creature eats them, that kind of thing. There's none of that in the river of life. You don't have to worry about what dangerous creatures lurk. This is a river that brings life, flowing straight from God's throne. And also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Now this is something interesting. I wonder where that tree of life came from. Could it be the very tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden? Could it be the very one that God intended for us to from to begin with and every month it's a new fruit try doing that in your garden by the way you need 12 different trees to pull that off if you could get all 12 to grow i couldn't even we we planted what was it satsumas yeah yeah we we planted them before snowmageddon i i disagree with the name but okay (laughs) snow in alabama is 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 snowmageddon apparently um I'm from Mobile, so we only got it once a decade. So snow was a really big deal when we got it. 
up here, it's it's still fairly rare, but we planted them. They didn't grow. <laughs> they died out because of snowbageddon. That's about my green thumb right there. I plant something and it dies. Carrie's usually a lot better with that, but I can't do that. I can't make a tree grow one fruit, nonetheless 12. And yet here it is, different fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. Even the leaves are healing. You see, when God does something, he doesn't just do it. He does it right. When God does something, it's really good. So he can't just have a normal tree. No, he's, he's, he's got a super tree. Because that's just who he is. That's the abundance of his mercy and grace. He can't help himself. G.K. Testerton talks of God as one who, who, like a small child, sees the sunrise every morning and says, Yeah, do it again, do it again, do it again. He's so excited to do the work of creation. He's so excited to bring his work about. And you can even see in this new city, I, I can picture these glimpses, these little things like this tree just suddenly sprouting a fruit right where your hand goes. Just because, and God's sitting there smiling like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> that was me. I can picture God taking great joy in benefiting his children and loving his people and showing them his grace and his mercy. It brings him joy. And you see that. You can see it here. You can see it in the tree and in the river. And you can see in the light that emanates from him that not only lights up the city, but lights up all around the city. You can see it in everything he does. I hope you can see it. Can you see it? I mean, I see it. I hope you do. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. We are made so right that we are able to stand before the face of God. That's how right we will be with him. And his name will be on their foreheads. It's a tattoo I won't mind having. Not one for needles. I won't mind that tattoo. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Yeah, amen. I hope you see, for God, this isn't just a fixing all the problems. This isn't dad walking around the house, turning off the lights, mumbling complaints about the kids. Then learn to turn these lights off. That's not what this is. This is God. Out of His love, mercy, out of His passion, out of His justice, the the very depths of His character, making everything right so that it will be the way that it's supposed to be. And you can see the smile on His face. You can see the joy with which he brings this about. For him, this isn't work. This isn't mindless drivel. This isn't hard toil without reward. This isn't God digging a ditch and then filling it back up so I'll have something to dig tomorrow. This is God doing his work and experiencing the joy. So while we say, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I can hear God say, don't worry, I'm coming quickly. 
while we say, Lord, this is just taking too long, God is up there saying, I know it's hard. (laughs) Believe me, I want it more than you do. While we antagonize over the details and while we struggle with the problems and the difficulties, God is God is even more willing than we to see this day come. Father, I can't picture everything. I, I there are some details that seem to I'm not quite sure how to make sense of. I, I don't quite know what some of the stones are. I don't know exactly what you mean when you say certain things. I don't know how symbolic or how literal these things are all the time. But God, I can see one thing. With my mind's eye, I can see you. And I can see the labor of love with which you are working with your people to bring about your will. I can hear your heartbeat in these pages. I can almost almost smell. I feel like you're just centimeters away. Like you're like you're so close I can almost reach out and touch you when I read this word. When I think about what you have written and what you have said and your promises, God, it is an extraordinary gift that you have given us this word. Father, help us rest in it. Not rest as in stop working, but rest as in recharge for the next job. Not rest as in leave it to someone else. But rest is in get strength for tomorrow. Father, help us draw closer to you because of your promises. Because of all of the promises that you have kept and you continue to keep day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, after century, after century, after millennia, after millennia. From time immemorial, you have always been a God of your word. God, help us trust you to be a God of your word today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives, for the rest of our history. Give us the faith to see you, to follow you, to proclaim you. Thank you for being worth it. In Christ's name, amen.